Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Can you answer this question? Who is the first person in the New Testament to preach the gospel, the good news? It was not John the Baptist. It wasn't Jesus. The first one to preach the good news was the angel to the shepherds on Christmas. And because Christmas is coming up to get in the Christmas spirit, what I want to do is to take us phrase by phrase through the first gospel sermon when the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for you and for all the people. For born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want us to explain all those words and get in the spirit of Christmas coming up. So take out your Bibles, if you would. Turn with me to the Christmas story. There's Matthew and Luke have it, but let's do the Luke version. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 10, and let's pray first. Father, we pray now as we head toward Christmas that this will not be just a normal, traditional Christian Christmas where we think about all the wrong things. Lord, we would pray that these next days between now and the celebration of Christ's birth, that you bring us each to a renewing of our faith toward him. And Lord, speak to us now through this ancient sermon delivered by the angel to the shepherds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you know the story. The shepherds are out in the field. The angel bright shows up. And the first words out of the angel's mouth are, shepherds, fear not. Now, why did he have to say that? What were they afraid of? Well, I think seeing the bright angel in the night was part of it, but ultimately, I think they were afraid of God. Because we are so wicked and God is so holy, I think everybody deep down is afraid of God. And the angel shows up and says, fear not. <laughs> and, 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 and let me explain, the first lesson then is, the good news is, don't fear God. And why? Why don't I have to fear him when he's so good and I'm so evil? Well, here it's because of Christmas. Because God has come down from heaven to take on human form to make what's called atonement. Please follow this. Here is mankind. We turned our back on God in the garden. We went our own sinful way. Here's God. His holiness makes it so he can't look at our evil. So man and God are estranged. God sends Jesus down in human flesh to live the perfect life we couldn't. He goes to the cross to die for our sins, to make atonement, to make at one so God and man are at one again. So you don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of hell because Christ has paid your sin debt for you. The good news is you don't have to be afraid of God. Now you might say, but doesn't the Bible teach us to fear God? Doesn't the book of Proverbs say... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of course we're supposed to fear God. The answer is both are true. 
you are to fear God in one sense, and you're not to fear him in another sense. For instance, if I'm driving in a car, I'm normally not afraid. I go up and down the hills. But if my tire starts going in over the curb down into the ditch, then I get afraid and I turn back onto the road. <laughs> Listen, if you are trusting Christ for your salvation, following him, fear not. But if you're turning from Christ, rejecting Christ, living in impenitent sin, you should be so scared you get back on the road. First words out of the angel's mouth is fear not. Next words, for behold. The Greek word translated behold means look, listen, pay attention. Do you know why most people in the world are not saved and not on their way to heaven? Because they will not look, listen, and pay attention to God's word. They'll spend hours on the internet, hours watching television. They'll read this book, that book. They'll do everything except the one thing that's going to save them. They won't look, listen, or behold the word of God. I talked to an elderly Christian woman. She said, Pastor Brock, the last five years, I've read the Bible through entirely five times. She's taking time to look, listen, pay attention to the word of God. Can I give you a New Year's resolution? This coming year, starting January 1st, read Genesis chapter 1. January 2nd, read Genesis chapter 2. I've read my Bible through many times. I still read the Bible every single day because I want to take time to look, listen, behold the Word of God. Make that your resolution that from now on you're going to read the Bible every day. When you get all the way through the book at the end of Revelation, start over again on Genesis chapter 1. Next words, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Here's the next lesson. The gospel, the good news, brings joy. Now let me ask you this. Is Jesus good news of great joy for you? <laughs> Don't be one of these Christians who walks around looking like you're sucking on a lemon. You know, I was watching Family Feud they asked the question, name a boring place. You know what the number one answer was? Church. Oh, that hurt to see that. I had an old preaching professor in seminary say, the greatest sin of a preacher is not to preach false doctrine. He said the greatest sin of the preacher is to take the wonderful, glorious good news of Christ and make it boring. <laughs> I saw a poster when I was in college. And the poster is, a, a, it's a picture taken of a preacher up in the pulpit like this. And the, you're looking over the congregation. And in the front row, asleep, is Jesus. <laughs> no, listen, Christianity is good news of great joy. So I have a godson. And he's about 18 years old. I go to visit him. I, I've prayed for, I he's now older, but I've prayed for him all of his life. He goes, he was raised in a church that's pretty liberal. So he and I were floating out on the rubber rafts in the middle of the lake, and I thought, well, I'm the godfather. Let me have the talk with, with Ben. And I said, Ben, um, do you like your church? Oh, Uncle Tom, it is so boring at my church. I said, well, Ben, can I ask you, do you know what the Trinity is? Never heard of that, Uncle Tom. Do you know where people go when they die? Oh, not really. Do you know how to make sure you go to heaven instead of hell by faith in Christ and by what he did on the cross? 
he just didn't know. And, and Christianity to him was boring. Can I ask, tell you this? If you go to a church that does not preach what I just said, all those essentials of the faith, if you go to a dull, boring church, it's okay to leave that church and to go to a church that's preaching wonderful, powerful, good news Christianity. That's okay. <laughs> I heard a preacher years ago say these words. If your faith in Christ doesn't periodically make you want to jump up and down and shout, something's wrong. <laughs> and can I tell you what I've learned from my own personal life? <clears throat> if my Christian faith starts to get boring, I need to do one of two things. Number one, witness. When I share my faith in Christ, that charges my batteries. And if, if your Christianity is boring right now, try talking to people about Christ. That'll do something for you. The second thing that, that makes me more joyous in my Christian walk, close Christian fellowship. I don't mean just church on Sunday morning. I mean getting into a small group, talking to your friends about God, praying with other Christians. Close Christian fellowship and witnessing will put joy back in your Christian life. But, you know, um, Christianity is good news of great joy. <laughs> My dad ran the horse race track in Omaha. So when I was a teenager, I was an usher at the racetrack. And I s sat up there seven races every day. Every time those race horses came around the bend toward the finish line, I saw everybody get up, jump up and down, and scream for their horse. And listen, if they can get that excited about a horse, Christian, let's get excited about the greatest news ever on this planet. You can have your sins forgiven. You can go to heaven instead of hell for all eternity. Why? Because Jesus has come to make atonement. <laughs> Next words. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Next words mean Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is not just for wasps like me, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Jesus is for everybody, Buddhists, Jews, Mohammedans, uh, uh, Shintoists in Japan. Everybody needs Christ. There's an evil teaching in the church today that says Jews don't need Christ to be saved. And some of these liberals and the denominations are saying that the Old Testament saves the Jews, the New Testament saves the Christians, but we're all saved. No, no, no. Jesus was Jewish, and he said to his Jewish disciples in, in John chapter 14, I'm the only way to heaven. And then in Acts chapter 4, the Jewish apostles are preaching to the Jews and say, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. The, the truth is, everybody needs Jesus for salvation. For I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people, for to you is born. The words to you there mean this. We must personalize Christianity. When I was a kid, all the presents under the tree were personalized. To Tommy from Mom. To Tommy from Sharon. To Tommy from Dad. Every, every gift was personalized. Have you personalized Christianity? Have you personalized Christmas? Or is it just kind of a nice traditional thing? <laughs> Years ago, there was a man in my church, an older man, came to church regularly. He had a, 
a rip-roaring drinking problem and I was called in to help and because they took away his driving license and so I, I went over to his house I tried to minister to him and I said to him you know do you pray he said no I believe and I go to church but I don't pray I said you never pray no I said why don't you pray well I'm Finnish he said <laughs> well is that uh, people in Finland don't pray you know and I, I just urged him I said you need a personal relationship with Christ where you talk to God, where you read the Bible, that God talked to you. And I worked with him and worked with him, and he, he did finally start praying. But you know what his problem was? For him, Christianity was being Finnish. It's the Lutheran tradition of Finland to go to church. But he hadn't personalized it. Have you personalized Christmas? Have you personalized Christ? Years ago, the best preacher I think I've ever heard was a pastor in Omaha. And in college, I heard him preach. Well, I went back to Omaha. He's real old now, but I heard him preach. What a sermon. And I'm in the very back row listening to this guy preach. Three people were sitting in front of me, mom, dad, and the teenage daughter. During that sermon, mom was on the edge of her seat listening intently. Dad, for the whole sermon, is like this. And the teenage daughter during the sermon is like this. <sighs> and it was a tremendous sermon. And you know what? I, only the Lord knows. I don't, I'm not judging here. But I think one of those people has personalized Christmas. And, and have you done that? If you haven't, then just do it now, tonight. Lord Jesus, I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and I trust you from now on for the atonement for my soul. Next words. For I bring you good news, for to you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, what does Jesus save us from? He saves us from three things. Jesus saves us from sin. He saves us from death. And he saves us from hell. When you say Jesus is my Savior, you're saying he saves me from my internal judgment. That's my sin, my guilt. And he saves me from my external judgment. That's my physical death. But then number three, he saves me from eternal judgment, which is hell. The big news of Christmas is we got a Savior. Hallelujah. Now maybe this is going to be a difficult Christmas for you because you've lost a loved one. And maybe this is your first Christmas without your mom, dad, your wife, your husband, your daughter, your son. I want to just read you a poem that might help. It's called, I'm Spending Christmas with Jesus Christ This Year. I see the countless Christmas trees around the world below with tiny lights like heaven's stars reflecting on the snow. The sight is so spectacular Please wipe away that tear, for I'm spending Christmas with Jesus Christ this year. I hear the many Christmas songs that people hold so dear, but the sounds of music can't compare with the Christmas choir up here. For I have no words to tell you the joy their voices bring, for it is beyond description to hear an angel sing. I can't tell you of the splendor or the peace here in this place, can you just imagine Christmas 
with our Savior face to face. Please let your hearts be joyful and let your spirits sing, for I'm spending Christmas in heaven and I'm walking with the King. The big deal of Christmas is that when I die, I don't have to go to hell, which I deserve for my sins, but because of Christ's atonement, I get to go to heaven for eternity. Next word, for I bring you good news, great joy, born to you this day is a Savior who is Christ. Do you understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name? <laughs> Some people think Joseph and Mary Christ had a baby and called him Jesus Christ. No, no, no. The word Christ is a title. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. The Old Testament prophesied that a Christ, an anointed one, would come and save the Jews. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of those words. That's what Christ means, anointed one. And then the last word, who is Christ the Lord. What does the word Lord mean? When I say Jesus is my Lord, I'm saying two different things. Number one, the word Lord means God. So when you say Jesus is my Lord, you're saying Jesus is my God. And if, if you look at it, Luke chapter 1 and 2, 25 times uses the word Lord. All of those references are to God the Father, except one right here when the angel says the word Lord, and it's a reference to Jesus, which is a teaching that which is where we get the Trinity from. There's only one God, but the one God has three persons, Father, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but Jesus is Lord, one with the Father and the Spirit. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying he's my God. The second meaning of the word Lord is... He's my master. Many of the early Christians were slaves, and when they heard the word Lord, they knew what it meant. It means this, he bought me, he's my master, he paid for me, now I'm his slave. So when you say Jesus is my Lord, you're saying he's my master, I'm his slave. A couple hundred years ago in England, a coachman would drive his master and his wealthy family around London but the coachman had a drinking problem, and finally it was hard for him, but the, the wealthy master said, you know, I'm sorry, but this is dangerous for my wife and children. I can't have you be the coachman anymore. But then he said to the coachman, don't you think it's time to take the reins of your life and hand him the reins? So he lost his job. A year later, the wealthy man sees his former employee driving a coach, and it was kind of an awkward moment, but the coachman ran over and said, Oh, sir, I just want you to know, I did what you said. I'm doing so much better. I can hold a job now. And, sir, I've given the reins to him. That's what the word Lord means, that I'm not running my life anymore. I tried that. didn't go well. From now on, I'm letting him run my life. He holds the reins to my life. Let's put it all together. Here's the true meaning of Christmas. Fear not. Don't fear God because atonement's going to be made when Christ dies. Fear not, for I being, behold, you've got to behold the word of God. I hope you will read the Bible every day for the rest of your life. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for you, personalized Christmas, and for all the people. Everybody needs to believe in Christ to be saved because born for you this day in the city of David is a savior from sin, death, and hell, who is Christ the anointed one, the Lord. That means he's God and he's the master of your life. Amen.
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. We've only got a little bit of time left, but I have got a couple of questions mm -hmm. for you there. Mm -hmm. Was Jesus actually born on December 25th, or is that just the day that we picked That's to it. celebrate? I mean, we don't know when he was born. That's just a date that that was chosen to celebrate Christmas, but nobody really believes for sure that's the date because we just don't know, yeah. Well, some of your religious groups teach that Christmas and December 25th are actually pagan mm -hmm. and that we shouldn't be celebrating Christmas because it's actually yeah. not in the Bible. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses um, believe that it's pagan, so they, they refuse to celebrate Christmas because it's pagan. Well, here's my thought, Saturnalia, is what the, the, the Roman, ancient Romans used to worship Saturn on December 25th, and it was a merrymaking time. And you know, sometimes the, the early church would take a, a pagan festival and to get Christians away from it, they turned it into something Christian. I don't think anything's wrong with that. Where does it say in the Bible that the devil owns December 25th? If they want to worship Saturn on December 25th, that's their business. If I want to worship Jesus, I can do it. So I don't think anything's wrong with celebrating Christmas. So can you explain exactly what Advent is? Yeah. The word Advent, Adventus, is a Latin word meaning coming. And the first Advent of Christ was at Christmas. The second coming of Christ will be at the end of time, at the second coming of Christ. Advent are the four Sundays prior to Christmas where we think about the second coming, the end of time. It's a time for repentance. It's a time to think about this last judgment and standing before Christ on our last day. So it's kind of a somber holiday, not holiday, it's a season of the church for four weeks. At the end of Advent, when we've done the repenting and, and, and thinking on the end of time, then we're really ready to celebrate the first coming of Christ at Christmas on December 25th. So where did Advent come from? It's an old, it's not in the Bible. It never says in the Bible you have to celebrate Advent or Lent, but it's an early ancient Christian tradition. So I kind of like it. Why not? Okay. <laughs> How does a person know the Christmas story is not a fairy tale? Mm -hmm. I mean that it's truly real. Yeah. Jackie, if you and I were to dream up a story that God came to earth, we'd have him born in a palace. He'd be laid on silk sheets. The, the, but to put him down into the slop where the cows eat hay out of, you know, and to have him so poor that he can't even get into the inn. I mean, it, it, there's something that rings true about the Christmas story because it's not the kind of thing people <coughs> would invent. That helps me believe it's true. <laughs> well, there you so. go. <coughs> I guess the question that comes to mind is, why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Mm -hmm. was Let's explain this. Christians believe that Mary was a virgin and the Holy Spirit put the baby Jesus inside of her, not Joseph, not any other man. And here's the problem, Jackie. You and I were born in sin because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they passed their sin on to all their descendants. That's why the world's a mess. To prevent Jesus from inheriting original sin, to keep Jesus from being a sinner, God gave us the virgin birth where God himself directly put the baby inside of Mary. And I think that's why Christ was born, so he could be sinless for our atonement. You know, it's interesting as we're talking about this to stop and think about how Christmas truly affected so many different classes of people and mm -hmm. how 
we should be thinking like that today more yeah. so probably. Yeah, that would help <laughs> and not be classed. Yeah. yeah. Is it true that shepherds were outcasts during Jesus' time? You know, the angel, here's another reason I believe the, the Christmas story. Who does the angel announce that the Christ is born? The lowest rung in the first century Palestine were the shepherds. They were known for being dishonest. A shepherd could not give evidence in court. They were kind of the lowest of the low, and those are the people that the angel preached to. So, I, I, yeah, it is true that shepherds were not considered trustworthy. <laughs> okay. Where does the Bible teach that Jesus is God? Is there uh, yep, certain there's, places? Yeah, there's, uh, the easy way to remember it is John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and... Colossians chapter 1. John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. All three of those chapters teach that Jesus is God. You've also got Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus did not hold on to his, cling, cling to his godness, but he became a human being. So he's fully God and fully man, uh, but there you go. Okay, three-part question. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us what is justification, sanctification, and glorification, yes. and do they all go together? Great, I got a minute and 50 seconds, here we go. Justification means I am justified, that means I'm declared not guilty. It saves me from the penalty of sin, hell. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. It's saving me from the, uh, justification saves me from sin's penalty. Sanctification saves me from sin's um, progression, but then the third is glorification at the second coming. I'll be without sin. God will make me perfect then. So then I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So justification on the cross saves me from the penalty of sin. Sanctification sends me from the progression of sin. Glorification at the second coming will save me from the very presence of sin. And there you go. And I have one minute and some seconds left to have yeah. you explain something. Yes. Tom, we're celebrating 30 years on this ministry, being on this TV. Month. Yes. And what do you think that's <laughs> a result? Well, everybody, God bless Jackie and Fred and all the, all the volunteers here. We've been doing this show for 30 years this month. And seven years ago, we, we went national and it took a lot of money. And so at the end of that year, we were about to close down. And on December 31st, a certain Christian couple sent us $40,000 so we're now, so we could stay on. And we have lots of people that, that pray for us, contribute, and we're on nationally now for seven years. And it's pricey to do this, but God has been with us this whole time, Jackie. And, and just thanks to you and all the volunteers. Thanks for you out there praying for us. I get such wonderful letters and emails from people. So thank you. Keep praying for us. See you next time on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.